You know what? I really enjoy greeting time at Lighthouse. So many cool things happening and get to see people you haven't seen in a while and uh, exciting stuff. There's, at, at any given time, you know, it's it's hard to, like if you draw attention to stuff, we have people coming and going all the time. Like my, like uh, uh, they, they just jetted out of here, but Miss Elaine Barton came in this morning and she uh, she is headed to Africa. So we rejoice in that. She's going and, and uh, Mark Seal just got back from Coast Guard deployment. We're, we're excited that he's back with us and and so so many things happening around here and uh and you kind of find that stuff out at greeting time hey so today um is uh is uh extra special for two reasons in particular um we uh, at the end of the service we're going to do our miracle offering we're going to do our regular offering now but then we're going to do our miracle offering at the end okay so if you have those if, if i if, if i just pastor ken i was just going to write one check well it's okay just one right but we want to take some time at the end of the service to really celebrate uh what the lord's done when we started working on this miracle offering it was about twenty six thousand dollars it's down to about thirteen thousand dollars so praise god for progress already right and so i just believe the lord's uh, going to bring us over the top with that today um so uh but our regular offering uh we're going to take right now so i'm going to invite the ushers to come and uh, we're going to give to the lord our tithe and offering you know that it's important for us that, that, that there there are different ways um, that the bible talks about giving now there these are methods to give and there are three ways up here but the bible talks about giving in different ways and i'm just going to give you a, a highlight of these okay there there is the tithe now if this is if you're a first timer here at lighthouse and you haven't ever heard that word that's a that's a bible word a tithe just literally means a tenth and so a tenth of all your increase is what the bible tells us is the starting line for how we as a people of god support the work of god and so in the old testament it was a legal tenth it was 10 percent um and so we talk about giving but we're really not talking about giving until that first 10 percent starts because uh, the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof and so a tenth we bring back to him it it already belongs to him it's not really giving because the tithe belongs to the Lord. Then there are offerings. Offerings are free will offerings. The, the, this is what you do just because God touches your heart. It's not even connected uh, to whatever your increase is. It's just from your heart what you want to do. And then the Bible talks about uh, almsgiving. Now, that's another Bible word, right? Um, and it, it's antiquated language that we pull from the King James. And this is the kind of giving that the Bible in the New Testament where Jesus said, when you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do you, do you notice that the first two, the tithe, is connected to your income. The second uh, is connected to your heart. But the third kind of giving is private giving, secret giving where we don't let everybody know what we're doing. Why? Because there's usually a poor person attached to it or there's a need that we don't want everybody knowing about because we don't want to injure the dignity of the person that we're giving it to. So we don't make a big show of it. We just give it quietly. We just look after that need. And so when we, when we uh, talk about finances around here at Lighthouse, we're not ashamed of giving. Uh, we understand that there are re uh, that we respect the rules that the Bible sets up as it relates to giving. And you will not be manipulated. You will not be cajoled. You will not be turned upside down and shaken until all of your dimes fall out. Because we feel like this is a heart thing between you and the Lord. And so if God speaks to your heart about giving, then praise God. Um, if you are a leader in this house, we, it, you know, that's, that's part of what it means to lead is to give. And, uh, and so we are givers here unashamedly. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for participating with us. We're going to do our miracle offering at the end of the service. This is our regular tithe and offering that we would normally do. Father, we thank you, Lord, for those who have committed in their hearts to partner with you and, and uh, making sure that they do their part in preaching the gospel to the nations. Thank you, Lord, that we can give today. Thank you, Lord, that we are of all people in the earth, a blessed people, not just because we live in America, but because, Jesus, you have chosen us. You have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, and we thank you for that. And we, I thank you for blessing this offering now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this morning, uh, the second special reason that we have this, uh, it, it, that today is special is because we have a, a special guest speaker. And uh, she is uh, not a guest speaker, she's a special speaker because she's family, she's part of this house. Now I need to tell you a little bit about Dr. Lynn Westman. Dr. Lynn Westman has been a part of this house since the early 90, 94, somewhere in there, I'm, 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 I, I lose track. Uh, but it's been quite a while. And um, her journey has been one uh, that has taken her to many, many, many nations of the world. I, I told the 8 o'clock service, I think Dr. Westman probably has the, uh, if there was an award for the most uh, nations visited by one person uh, at, in Lighthouse history, it would probably be Dr. Westman. She's probably spoken to more diverse groups of people than anybody uh, that we've ever had in this pulpit. And, um, and so, and Dr. Westman started out, uh, she was, uh, she went into the medical field. She was, uh, she, uh, uh, you were an RN, right? Yeah, she, so she started out as an RN, moved into counseling, uh, got her uh, doctorate in psychology. The Lord continued to move in her life. Uh, she became a minister of the gospel. She has a, an REV next to her name as well. And, uh, and God has just used her to one by one take down giants that would have stood in, in the way of a woman doing what she is doing in the world. And she sets the pace. So when you see this, this little gal, come on up, Dr. Lynn. When you see this little gal, you have to appreciate the big God that puts her where he wants her to be. And uh, so uh, I, want, I want you to, uh, Dr. Westman, would you tell them a little bit about what, uh, you know, what the Lord's had you involved with through the years, we, we, kind of what we did at the end of the 8 o'clock. I want them to hear at the front end so that they have a chance to really appreciate what you do. Okay. Well, it was out of this house, and I want to add one little thing I was going to say later, but Firth and Sylvia Smith are here today, yes. and Firth went Smith. on my first mission trip with me wow. in 1993. Wow. And we were going with donkeys for Jesus, yeah. smuggling Bibles. Smuggling Bibles And I China. was a fearful person. Mm -hmm. So I remember one of my favorite moments. We had to take them across all the trains and cars and boats and you name mm -hmm. it. And um, we were going through security where they look at your bags. And they didn't have us put our bags. I was supposed to be his wife. Sorry, Sylvia. But we had two American passports. And so they put us as a couple, husband and wife. And so he's like holding my arm. We're going through pass um, through the security, and they didn't have us put our bags on the the wow. roller thing. And I said, Firth, we didn't have our bags checked." He said, "Keep walking." <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that, Firth. You probably kept me out of something, <laughs> some interrogation. So Amen. so that was my first mission trip ever. So wow. I'll never forget them. And wow. um, it's been now 26 years. 23 in Mercy Ships, and it, um, actually that came out of here. Don Stevens came and spoke at this church, mm -hmm. and out of obedience, it was uh, someone spoke to me after the service this morning, and she said, I just knew I was supposed to talk to you, and that's what happened to me with Don, yeah. that it was disobedience if I didn't talk to him, Good. even though in myself, yeah. I am nothing, yeah. and I, you know, without God, how could he move all the giants out of my life that he did yeah. to be able to do what I'm doing, and Don just opened the door for me to come, Amen. and I've been there ever since. Amen. Um, so we do mental health training around the globe um, with all groups, with uh, church leaders. That's my love because I'm a minister first, so we want to equip the church. But healthcare workers, we work with the Ministry of Health. We work with Buddhists, Muslims, animists, anybody who wants to have the training because we intersperse the spiritual all through the training. And um, we just see him open incredible doors for us for his purposes. Amen. So, Dr. Westman, if somebody wanted to, to hear more or get involved in the kind of work you do, how would they go about it? Do they need a medical background? Do they need to, uh, do, do they need a, a background in psychology? What, what do they need in order to get involved in doing what you do? Well, for me, the biggest part of it is having a gift of counseling, and that's something God gives you, and knowing scripture. You don't have to be a theologian. I'm not a theologian. Mm -hmm but you have to be well-versed in scripture because to me, that is the power of what we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes people with the medical um, the, or the psychiatric training, 
that gets in the way because they don't know how to integrate okay. the medical with mm -hmm. the and the psychological with mm -hmm. the spiritual. Mm -hmm. And if you only give the secular, then you've done something, but you haven't done what we do. Right. So that is first. Right. And then the other things there are always places that people for people with different levels. We do ask that people do a training with us first. Mm -hmm. So that because we use um, a book, we use a couple books, but also there are activities that you practice. And, and those who've been through it, you'd right. find out that as much as you are being equipped to help others, God is working on your heart as well, right? right? Amen. Amen. So, okay. so if, if somewhere during the service or something happens today that you really feel like, hey, you know, I'm getting a nudge. I feel like I need to find out more about this or I'm just, my heart's really warm toward this. Then find out, come, come and talk to Dr. Westman about how you can get involved. Um, she is part of our executive leadership mm -hmm. team here at Lighthouse. Um, so even when she's not here, she's with us uh, by conference call, uh, helping us to navigate uh, who we are and what we do and all of those kind of things. But I, I can't tell you enough, I can't stress strongly enough how precious the, the, the gift is that she is not only to this house, but to the nations. We are blessed. And we can't take that lightly. And I just really believe that the next generation, the, 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 there is a, a, a training up and, a, and a, a passing of the mantle that needs to happen for the next generation. And, and uh, I'm going to tell you, none of us are getting any younger. And, and so that next generation needs to rise up and needs to say, okay, you know, what, what's happening with this ministry that God has imparted to this house? I believe the next generation is, is going to continue from this house, but not just from this house. She's got, she has networks around the world that are, that are saying, we need what you have to, to offer. We need what you have to bring. And I could keep going, but I'm going to let you preach. God bless you. Okay, I love being here. I said that this morning, that this is my house. This is the one that sent me out. And um, what I want to talk about this morning, of course, we're talking about giants. And I didn't know that when, I, when we talked about my speaking. Um, but what God put on my heart was the word risk. And um, I, may, I may unpack that a little bit different than you would think that I might. Um, because just taking risk for risk's sake is not always the wise thing to do. You take risks for God, and then they're not risks. So I'm kind of giving you my message at the beginning. It's my whole message. But um, I want to start out with a scripture from 1 Samuel 17, and I'm going to read. It's verses 1 through 11. And what I would suggest is you just close your eyes, if you're willing, and just listen to the scene of what I'm going to talk about. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sikah, which belonged to Judah, and encamped between Sikah and Azekah and Ephesdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, which is, depending on the source, either six feet nine or nine feet six. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, which is 125 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slain between his shoulders, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. Can you imagine carrying all this around? And his shield-bearer was in front of him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So you have this picture. Uh, this was 40 days 
And you know the story of David and Goliath. I mean, you hear it from when you're really little. I just want to talk about some things you might not have thought about uh, in this talk. But 40 days, so Goliath came out every day carrying all that armor, having his shield bearer in front of him. I don't know what he hoped to accomplish with him, um, but he, he came out every day in the morning and every night, and he taunted them. I told the story this morning about my uh, informally adopted son, who's an ex-warlord from Liberia, was actually the most vicious during the Liberian War, who is now an evangelist. But he, um, and so when he would do his war cry as a tribal warrior, and the power that he carried in darkness, the, the government troops would tremble, and they were paralyzed with fear. So they had really no defense against him because of the intimidation that came with the war cry. So uh, one day, I was telling the story, one day he went out, uh, they were going to steal food, raid for food, and there was a UN peacekeeping troop on the bridge that separated him from where he wanted to go. And as he went up to the bridge, he was used to people just moving out of his way. When his, his band came through, they moved. And this group didn't move. And this general, his name is Solomon O'Kane, he stood there and said, you will not pass. And Joshua had always been able to pass before. So he just got angry and rose up. That, that uh, rebellious spirit rose up and said, I will pass. And so he started to move. And uh, the, uh, Gen uh, General O'Kane put the gun above his head. He had first, he, he had pointed it up in the air. The second time he put it over his head and said, you will not pass. Joshua kept moving a little bit, a little bit less secure than he was the first time and got closer. And the general pointed it at his chest and said, you will not pass. And he backed up and he told his warriors, we have to go back and pray. We're not prayed up enough. And he said that what he, he, he knew that there was something that was greater than the power that he had, and he knew that he would die where a bullet had never been able to touch him before. And so as he, as he was going, he noticed that the mouths of the troops were moving. He couldn't hear what they were saying, but they were moving while this general was saying, you will not pass. And later, when he became a Christian, he learned that they were praying in the spirit. So the power of the spirit against any giant, we can win any battle. So we don't want to forget that. I, I told you this morning that when I go out with my team, um, you know, first Saul was chosen by God because the people didn't want judges anymore because Samuel had been a wonderful judge, but his two sons were not. They were corrupt. And the people were tired of it, and they were used to doing what was right in their own eyes. So they wanted a king like the nations around them. And so God chose Saul. Saul was handsome, high, taller than any other Israelite, and wealthy, which kind of gives the image of what you might see in the nations around you if you're not following God, the true God, and that's what people look for. Um, so he, he agreed to do that, and he told Samuel all of the things that um, he, he gave him many steps, telling him he would know who it was when he brought him to him the next day. And then he did many signs, and many things were happening along the way to also let Saul know that, yes, indeed, he really was the one that was chosen to defeat Israel. Because all the whole time that Saul, Samuel lived, um, they were able to beat the enemies of the Lord the whole time until Saul was no longer alive. But as, um, I mean, sorry, Samuel was no longer alive. So uh, as Saul was called out to start working here, he didn't want to be king. He never asked to be king. He was hiding. They had to pull him out from behind the baggage. And here he is, this towering figure, but he was terrified. He was inadequate. I don't know why. I don't know what his childhood was. I don't know why Saul had such a low self-esteem, but there was something in his childhood that led him to be that way instead of confident or maybe even prideful with the way he looked. Um, I've said that in my team, and I, I liked how you said that, Pastor Ken, but in my team when I go out, because my name could be a male or a female, Lynn, L-Y-N, um, people are often expecting a male, and they're certainly expecting someone taller, and they're also certainly expecting someone younger, and many times they're looking for an African, and so here I come in, and they go to everybody but me. If Kay, I don't know if she's in here right now, but 
they go to Kay before they go to me because she's taller and she's younger. Um, so God is not looking at the outward appearance, but he responded to what the people prayed for because maybe they would accept Saul better if he looked like what they thought. Um, when it was time for him to put David in place after Saul had been disobedient and really did not inquire of the Lord himself, he looked to other people to do that for him. But God now was choosing someone, a man after his own heart. And he said, don't look at the outward appearance, look at the heart. And that the, that the new king would come from that. But he didn't tell him which son. He, he didn't say something like, tomorrow you will see this one when he comes to you, like he did with Saul. The donkeys are missing, and, and I'll, when he comes looking for them, then you'll know he's the one. He didn't do that with David, because God doesn't work the same way every time. So we have no formulas, and so if you think that each time you're going to go into a battle for the Lord, you're, you can do the same thing you did last time, you can very well have a defeat, because you have to always be inquiring and always looking for what he wants to do now. So he didn't tell uh, Samuel who it was going to be. Samuel had to go through the seven other brothers first because he started at the oldest and he worked his way down all the way to the shepherd boy. And that's who God called. So in this battle, they'd been 40 days doing nothing. Essentially, Saul was inactive. I mean, there were a few battles that he had and he won because God said, they would be victorious over the Philistines. But overall, it wasn't because of his seeking God. It was because God said they would be victorious, and Samuel was still there as judge, even though there was a king. So it was that covering of Samuel that could, could move these troops um, and into victory. So when David came up, um, you know that David was already in the service of the king. He was already worshiping for him, playing his his uh, music when Saul had tormenting spirits. He was also his armor bearer, and it says there that Saul loved him. So after David comes out for God to fight this battle, Sam, uh, when he comes out to do that, Sam, uh, Saul has to make a choice. Is he going to allow David to come out as the one? Because if David wins, loses the battle, then the, the issue with Goliath was, if you lose this battle, then you will be our servants. If you win the battle, then we are yours. So he's putting all of his eggs in one basket. And is Saul confident enough to do that? Well, if you look now, there were 40 days where they did nothing. So what is he really risking? Because he has no progress. So Saul didn't make a decision because he believed it was the will of God. He made a decision because... That was his next option. And David went out. And David said, I won't wear your armor. Uh, even though Goliath had all of his armor, he says, I will go out in the name of the Lord. He also uh, gave Saul confidence in that he said, you know, I have been able to kill a bear. I have been able to kill a lion. And, and I, and, but I want you to see that what he did that for was to defend the sheep. It was in a role of protector and not in a role of aggressor. So David, in all of the battles that he won, he was, he was submitted to the Lord. And he would ask, there were times when he would go to battle and he would say, Lord, do you want me to, to go direct into battle? And the Lord would say, yes, go directly. The next time he says, no, don't go directly, go around the trees. Because there's never the same answer. And God knows everything that's going to be out there. He knows your obstacles and what you're going to face. So if you don't stay so connected to him, you're going to do what you've always done, and it might not be effective that next time. It just helps us to know where our, where our power is and, um, in slaying these giants. So um, there, faith is a promise from God, and we've been singing about that this morning, the promises of God. And it is God-centered. So we have to be careful that if we say something and because we're, we believe in it, that, makes, that means it's going to happen because we believe in that thing happening, then we've lost the God-centeredness of it. And that's why we have to be tuned in with him. It is humble. It waits on God, and it surrenders to his timing. 
So we might feel an urgency, but is it an urgency for something we want or is it an urgency that God is giving us of something that he wants us to do? He will grow our faith. He will never leave us. So our outcomes, we, we may not know what the outcomes will be. We can, we can have an, a, a, an impression of what it is, it says, but the scripture says God's ways are higher than our ways. So they may or may not come the way that we think they are, but we can trust him because his ways are higher. But we know he will always be with us if we're seeking him and if we're submitted to him. It's action-oriented. So in faith, you don't just wait for everything to happen for you. You are an, an instrument. You are a catalyst to work with him as he opens doors. It's action. We say, if a rolling stone gathers, no moss. I told them in, in Mercy Ships, when I come back, I'm usually there just a couple days. When I walk in, they, they don't just assume I'm going to be there for a month or two or three. They say, how long are you here this time? Right after they greet me, that's the first thing. How long are you here? And often I say one day or two days, maybe four. If I say four or five, they say, wow, you're going to be here a long time. <laughs> that's four or five days. So action-oriented, not driven action-oriented and there's a difference because this is God moving you not you moving you um, the difference between faith and presumption presumption begins with a personal desire it's man-centered God hasn't spoken it but you want it and so you presume because you speak in faith that it will come to pass it's arrogant and demanding it dictates what God must do. It expects God will protect from harm. So presumption and faith are very different things. And we always want to be walking in faith and not presumption. Because we submit to him, he doesn't submit to us. Psalm 27 through 8 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our God. The chariots and horses collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. In the name of our God, we stand upright. So Goliath trusted in his armor. He trusted in his strength, and uh, physical strength, and then the protective strength that he has. David trusted in his God. He didn't have the strength, the same as Goliath. He didn't have the armor. But he trusted him. He could take out the enemy with one small stone through all of that defensive armor. He was able to hit the mark by the power of the living God. Saul, in this situation, took a risk. He thought, well, you know, I can just keep staying out here. We've been here 40 days, or I can take a chance on this. He didn't ask God. He didn't do it by strength because obviously they weren't winning from strength. But he did it from taking a risk, well, maybe this will work. And it worked because the living God was in it. We also don't go out and do things that might be risky for adventure. So I like to tell the story that I love animals. And so I'm, I would be really willing to go anywhere there's an animal I haven't seen up close. And... Um, so I was in one country, and I was with my team, and there was a place we'd heard there were monkeys who lived with the people. They lived in the mountains, but they would come down and visit the people. So whenever there was a birth or death, the monkeys just knew to come down. They were drawn by something. This is an animistic culture. So these monkeys are coming to be there um, uh, with these people, but it's not by God. But I wanted to see the monkeys. Well, I heard this part about they come, they're drawn there. I still wanted to see them. So I was kind of wrestling with myself because I want to see the monkeys, but it doesn't look very spiritual light to me. And God didn't tell me to go pray for the people. I just wanted to go see the monkeys. I will go anywhere. Right, Firth? I'll go anywhere he wants me to go, no matter the risk if it's God wanting me to go. If I lay my life down, I'll lay my life down, but only because God called me, not because I want to go and take a risk or I want the adventure. 
We can have adventures and fun things and hobbies. But when you're working with what the Lord wants you to do, you don't do it just because you want to. So I was convicted that night because he didn't ask me or even tell me I could go. And I was really torn because I wanted to go see those monkeys. <laughs> but the next day I told my team, I said, we're not going to see the monkeys. I, God hasn't said that we can, and I, I think it's putting our, our team at risk. And they were relieved. Nobody said anything to me. But they were relieved because they didn't feel good about it. So, you know, it's also good. There's a wisdom and a multitude of counsel. So, you know, don't be afraid to talk to your leaders if you see things they may not see because we're not perfect. And we could have been at risk. It's a very dark place where we were going. Okay, Ephesians 3, 20, 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. He is the one that gets the glory. And we never have to look at how small we are or how wise we are. How um, We don't look at that. We just look at who our God is and we submit to his will. And we follow in the footsteps he gives us and we will slay the giants. Um, when I when I became ordained, and um, I asked Pastor Ken to mention that because uh, having a doctorate in psychology is not as important to me as being ordained in the faith because my power is in my faith. My power is not in my education. And if we ever get those wrong, we're also in trouble. Pride comes before a fall, but the humble he will lift up. So... Um, when I was ordained, though, I mean, I'm also the least likely to be ordained in many places because in some churches, as a woman, I can't be ordained. In some churches, I'm divorced, I can't be ordained. I've had mental disorder. I had really severe depression for many years, and yet here I am. So God can do anything he wants to do, and we have to be careful that we don't put doctrines and traditions and religions in place. Now, we don't presume, again, I wouldn't presume to be ordained. He just opened many doors and gave me so much confirmation from people. I didn't just choose I'm going to be ordained because for some, I'm wrong. And I have to stand before God one day, and then I'll know if I was wrong or right. But all I can do is live my life the way I know how to do it and what he opens up for me and see the fruit that he bears from it. So um, we have... a following him, submitting, no matter what, no matter whether you uh, have popular opinion or not. People laughed at David when he came out to fight Goliath. His brothers thought he was prideful, but he didn't get stopped. He just kept going because he knew what God had for him. He knew his God. I was with Lucy Cole the other day. Lucy, you didn't know I was going to say this. We went to lunch, and we had Chinese food, and I always like fortunes. I don't believe in fortunes, just to clarify, but I believe that God can use anything. So if you say, Lord, what do you want to speak to me about with this fortune? And you don't even know what my fortune was. We didn't talk about it. But I went home with it and, and prayed over this and tried to get an idea because it caught me. It said, genius does what it must. Talent does what it can. So I was sitting with that. Well, I didn't really like the word genius, and I didn't really like the word talent, but I liked what was behind it. So yesterday, as I was praying, I was driving somewhere, and I was praying, and I said, Lord, help me see how I can see this through your eyes. And he said, desire does what it wants. Desire does what it wants. Ability does what it can. Ability does what it can. Purpose does what it must. So against all odds, purpose does what it must. Because the giants and the obstacles and the odds that you see in God's eyes, they are not giants or obstacles because, or against the odds because he called you to it. It is not a risk. We and we have to be careful about calling things risk-taking because we are not taking risk with God if we know his purpose for us. So um, 
I said, Lord, show me that. You know, you, you've given me these words and you've shown me how this plays out. Give me an example. And he gave me Jesus going to the cross. Jesus, well, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, if it is possible, take this cup away. That's desire. His desire was, I don't want to have to do this. But purpose was, he went to the cross because he must go to the cross. Without him going to the cross, we would not be spending eternity with him. And we wouldn't have purpose. <laughs> so his purpose becomes our purpose. But also in the can, so that leaves out that middle part. Ability is doing what you can. He said to them, don't you think I could call my father and he would send 12 legions of angels if, if I called him? That's 72,000 angels. He says, don't you think I could do that? Ability does what it can. Purpose does what it must. He laid down his desire. He laid down what he could do and looked for what God could do, which was the purpose. And that is what propels us, and that's what we must do. So I, I just, um, when I think about these giants, we know they can be in any area of our lives. And I want to share one example that's my most important of God moving a giant for me. And it might seem simple to you, but the spiritual uh, measure of it and the effect that it had on my life, nothing has been as impactful as this. When I was here, my son was a, um, graduating from Page Elementary School, and they were having a little graduation, and I wanted to make a graduation cake for him. Well, I had just recently, about six months before, read a book called Daring to Live on the Edge. And from the time I picked up that book, everything fell out from under me. I mean, literally everything except my son. And so I had to move out of where I lived. My people I worked with couldn't, uh, the clients I worked with couldn't pay anymore. I mean, just everything happened. I didn't have a car. Um, so uh, someone, Mike and Mary and Henry, gave me this little old car they thought I'd never take anywhere, but they were wrong because that thing went with me to Texas. <laughs> Mike's poor eyes. <laughs> when he, he knew I was going to drive that car away. Um, but I didn't have enough money for gas. So I wanted to make him a cake. I was staying with some people from Lighthouse who aren't here anymore. And I was praying in the yard and just saying, Lord, I, I really want to make him this cake, but I don't have money to go to the store to get the eggs. I had the cake mix, but I hadn't thought about the eggs. And it took three eggs. I didn't have them. And I didn't want to ask anybody. And so I was just pouring out my heart to God. I want to make a cake for my son. And it was breaking my heart because I couldn't, I didn't have anything else. I'd already sold everything in the church parking lot here to go to missions. And um, so I, I just said, I don't know what to do, but I want to do something for him. And I came in the house. There were three eggs sitting on the counter. And the people who owned the house, uh, I said, where did these eggs come from? I needed eggs to make a cake. And he said, Jeff, my son, went out to the chickens and collected the eggs. Now, me being from Chicago, I didn't think about the fact that there were chickens there, and I could go see if there were some eggs. And God didn't want me to think about that because he had a different plan. So these three eggs were sitting there, and I said, this is incredible. I said, it's a miracle because I needed three eggs to make this cake. And he said, that's not the miracle. He said, the miracle is that there are three. They only ever lay two. So the God of the universe created an egg for me. No doubt, because they never laid three. He is the creator. He can do whatever he wants to do. And we, we can sometimes rationalize if somebody had walked up and given me eggs, it could be coincidence. But that God created one more than they ever get. You can't argue with that. And that's no person. That's God. He did that for me, and that is the most meaningful thing that he's ever done in my life that spoke to me about his power and his love because he was grieving that a mother was grieving for her child. And that's how he is. That's how loving he is. So I'd like you to think about some of the giants that are stopping God's purpose for you. 
What are some of those things? Just think for a moment. What's holding you back? Do you even know yet what his purpose is for you? If not, he wants to show you. And it may just be one step at a time, like me going with Firth and carrying Bibles when I'm, I was a terrified child. But starting out with carrying Bibles where you're not supposed to have them because God said. That's the first step. I didn't know I'd be doing what I'm doing now then. I just took the first step. I went to China. What is he speaking to you? What is a step you can take? You may already know your purpose and you may already be moving toward it, but are you maybe a little bit stagnant in moving giants out of the way, moving obstacles out of the way? Is he stretching you? Because we should never be staying the same. And I'll find that as I go. There's always something new that's going to come that I'm not prepared for. And I just have to be totally dependent on him to see me through it. We have to be in that place. And if we're not, we're no good anymore because then it's our strength or our mind or whatever. So where are you in that process of moving those giants and seeing what he can do? What is the first step you can take from where you are now to the next step that he has for you? Any stirring going on in your mind? You don't have to tell me. But are you being stirred? For what might he have? Is legacy, is building legacy springs, is that a risk? No. Because God spoke to build legacy springs. So it will happen. And those of us who were here a few years ago to pray over the land, and for some of us, he showed us something bigger than we were even praying for. His visions are much bigger than we could have. So we're not taking a risk by going out. We're not taking a risk by adding on or doing any of those things if he's in them. And he will speak to you, and he will give peace to your heart to take those steps of faith. I'd like to um, just pray for you now. As you think about this, if you could stand, I want to pray for you for where God is taking you and what opportunities he has for you. As Ephesians 3.20 says, um, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think according to the power that works in you. Exceedingly abundantly. The Amplified says, dare to believe above your highest prayers, above your highest imagination he wants to do. So I just want to pray as Daniel, as, as you're uh, leading some worship. Father, I just thank you for this, um, this wonderful group who call Lighthouse Home. I thank you that your word is always new for us and fresh. You're never the same. That we need to be tied into you. We need to believe that you can move mountains. We need to believe not just that you can move mountains for someone else, but you move them for us. We need to believe that it's not a generic mountain, but it's our personal mountain. It's three eggs for a cake. You can do anything, and you will do everything. Your arm is not too short, and nothing is too hard for you. So I just speak to the giants and the lives of the people in front of me, and whatever they are, if they're financial, if they're physical, if they're emotional, uh, depression, for some that struggle with depression and discouragement and think there's never an answer. I just pray, Father, that you would speak to them as I'm speaking to you and that the authority of the living God would be moving those mountains out of the way, those obstacles. I know you can do it. I've seen you do it. You've done so many for me, things that seem unbelievable, impossible. So I just pray that faith would rise today and that each person in this house would know that they've been in the presence of the living God, that he loves them incredibly, that he will take them further, not uh, only into deeper things with him, but into their purpose, because we have a world to bring the kingdom to. And you have chosen to partner with us and allow us to be a part of what you're doing when you could do it yourself. But you give us that privilege. And though we face challenges, and though there are always things in our way, you will move the mountains. So I just thank you for your anointing 
I thank you for your power. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you are the one true God. You are all-knowing, completely loving, and all-powerful. Together we stand, believing to receive all that you have for us so that as we receive, we can give to others. We don't give to receive. We give because you love us and you give to us so much. So in every area of their lives, Lord, we thank you. We exalt you, and we look forward to what you're doing and the testimonies that will come out from people as they tell their stories, like my story of the egg. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hey, let's give the Lord a hand for that great word. Thank you so much. In just a moment, we're gonna uh, we're gonna uh, wait on you for the the miracle offering. But I I don't want us to uh, miss the moment. Um, Dr. Lynn uh, is here, and then she travels. She's gonna be uh, uh, leaving out uh, for a, a little bit of a, a respite for about a week, and then she's going back to the nations. If you feel like the Lord's nudging your heart about supporting Dr. Lynn Westman, that is something we do here on a monthly basis. You can do the same, um, and so you can you can give to missions and ear market uh, uh, Lynn Westman or Tributaries International with uh, with uh, Lynn Westman's name attached to it. We'll make sure she gets that. But uh, uh, but we love what you do, Lynn, and we and we love that you are part of us out there. You're part of our missions team out there making it happen. And praise God, Amen, Amen. I'm going to invite the ushers to come this morning. If you're a guest with us, you, you may not be aware of Heart for the House. We we have done it. We started a Heart for the House campaign. Go ahead, be seated. I'm, I'll do my best to be brief. Um, we started a campaign we call Heart for the House a couple of years back. And uh, we had started back in 2014. We had started the process of, uh, of doing uh, a market study uh, regarding a senior living community that we felt like was gonna be part of the future of what we do here at Lighthouse. Here at Lighthouse, we create life-giving communities where people love to belong. Little Lights is one of those. Lighthouse is part of that. But we really felt like we wanted to find a way to serve uh, an aging population of Gloucester County in a, in a way that we could bring community around them so that we could have a multi-generational uh, community here so that when seniors came to live on the property next to us at, in our, our senior living community, that we would they would have regular and daily interaction with elementary age kids where they could do uh, have snacks and, and do activities and those kind of things in an environment where we could literally bring community to people that get isolated from community as they age. And so that's the vision that we started with. Uh, so there were some soft costs that were involved in the development of process of, Heart, of uh, uh, Legacy Springs. And so Heart for the House is helping to underwrite the costs of some of those soft costs. The last one, the final one, that we're going to take this offering and pay off the site plan that was done, which has recently been approved. Praise God for that. And so, <clears throat> so we have raised... Over the past uh, probably about six months, uh, we've raised close to $66,000, which is the cost of that site plan. This uh, $13,000 is the last part of that. Anything over and above that comes in for that, just so you know where we're going next uh, with our giving, Heart for the House will be closed out. But the next part of our journey has, uh, has to do with uh, live streaming or streaming our services on the internet. Um, so we're raising funds to do that for the future. That's the next step for us. But um, and I'm just excited that, that uh, we're taking this journey together. And so many of you have already started this process last, I think two weeks ago, we said uh, that we needed about 26,000. Now, now the number is down to around 13,000. So let's thank the Lord for that. Um, but let's just be obedient to what he calls us to do um, and, uh, and participate with him in that. So I'm going to pray right now. I hope that you'll just listen to what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Holly and I had already done what we felt like we were going to do. And then this morning, the Lord said, bring the checkbook. That's <laughs> okay. And uh, so, Lord, we just thank you for speaking to us. We thank you, Lord God, that you don't just see a vision for uh, lighthouse or a vision for legacy springs you don't just see people uh, in in their their uh, twilight years of their life that are going to need a place and they're going to need people to come around them you don't just see that 
but you see the needs of our home and the needs of our table and the needs that we have uh, that, uh, that all of us, Lord, whether it's for our children or for our cars or for whatever it is that, Lord, we have needs of our own, but you see all of it at the same time. Help us not to try to outthink you today because you fly too high. Your thoughts are high above our thoughts and your ways are high above our ways. But I ask you to help us today to just listen clearly to your voice. And whatever you speak, whatever you speak, your servants will do. Now you have it all figured out. You have it all figured out. That through our acts of obedience, that our needs are met. And the needs of Legacy Springs are met. And Heart for the House closes out this chapter of our obedience of following you. So I pray that you'd speak to us. And Lord, as you speak, we will say, we will obey. And this offering is already blessed. I love that word. When it's in God, it's not a risk. When it's in God, it's not a risk. Father, thank you for your blessing today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you as you give today. Two things I want you to to, uh, take to the Lord in prayer. um, And uh, after the offering goes, you're dismissed. Two things that are that are uh, important to us here uh, at Lighthouse. First of all, uh, Good News Glosser starts tonight is for the next uh, six nights, and uh, so that's happening uh, uh, up there at the old Page uh, Middle School grounds. Uh, a lot of churches coming together. Our sound system is there. I know Crystal is uh, going to be helping with worship. We have uh, some folks that are participating with that. It's an open air. Uh, it's free admission. It's just for lost people to come in. Let's pray for that, right? Let's Let's pray that the lost come in of Gloucester County. It's great to see churches participate, working together on that. Praise God for that. Um, second thing is I want to make you aware of uh, Chris Knobloch, who I've known Chris since he was in high school, and he's in his late 30s now. Uh, but Chris had to have two valves replaced in his heart yesterday. Um, he was only supposed to have one valve replaced. The surgeon got in there and said, we've got to do two. And, uh, and the surgeon didn't give him a lot of hope. Uh, said, call your family together. It may not work out. And, uh, but Chris made it through the surgery. Got a text from his wife, uh, Stephanie, this morning. Um, you know, everything so far is really is looking good. Uh, but could we pray for Chris right now? And uh, Lord, we just agreed together for him that those valves will knit into his heart so quickly and so well, Lord God. That, uh, that all of his vitals will stay right where they need to be and you'll continue to do the healing work in his heart and you will surpass what the surgeon thought was possible. Lord, we want to see what you can do. And Lord, my comments to Chris yesterday uh, when I, uh, or Friday when I saw him, Chris, you're, you've always been in God's hands. You've always been in God's hands. And Lord, this is no different for him. And I thank you, Lord, for touching him right now. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for being here today. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you very, very soon. We love you.